Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. You're up, Rob. Oh, right off the bat. Okay, well, welcome to Because Money this month. Uh, I'm Rob Engen, and I'm here with our other panelists, Sandy Martin and Jackson Middleton. And we are really happy to be joined uh, this month by Ellen Roseman, contributor to the Toronto Star and author of Fight Back 81 Ways to Help You Save Money and Protect Yourself from Corporate Trickery. So welcome, Ellen. Really great Thanks, to have Rob. you here. It's fun uh, to be here. Yeah, so you're, you're known as, uh, as a Canadi- or Canada's consumer advocate and, and uh, you know, sticking up for Canadians as an advocate um, for the past 35 years. So wanted to... Ask if you uh, or ask you know how you got into that or how that uh, how that all started, um, and um, kind of how it all started, and, and then we'll get into kind of you know some of your most common complaints and and uh, how consumers can fight back. Okay, well, uh, I never went to journalism school, but I worked on the McGill Daily uh, more than I actually went to classes, and it was a time when students were very active on campus, so that was my first taste of protest and getting somewhere. We got kicked out for a while by the student council and then we got reinstated to run the paper again. And then I, w- I, I wasn't actually planning to go into journalism, but I wasn't sure what else to do. So I got into business journalism and I kind of liked it. And, and then consumer movements were hot. Uh, I got to interview Ralph Nader and uh, food prices were under review by Beryl Plumtree. It was a time when every province and federal government was setting up their consumer affairs ministry. And I found that it was a lot of fun and readers liked it. And it was growing. So that was the exciting part, watching it grow. And I kind of followed it for 10 or 12 years. And then it started plateauing and then it started going downhill because all those the federal grants and all the money disappeared and nobody could really function. And then all the ladies who used to volunteer for the Consumers Association were not there anymore and the younger women were all in the workforce so the volunteers disappeared and then I thought okay maybe I'll take the plunge and I'll go work in the business section and I'll write about investing and companies and so that was a learning curve for sure but then I ran into mutual funds right at the end of the 80s and there was the consumer movement again you know starting right then about the mutual fund companies won't even talk to investors. They're so busy talking to their their sellers, you know, the dealers, and um, the prices were high, and the securities commissions were going after them for all these great vacations that they took all their sellers to, and they they had all this fun at the at the investors' expense. So that kept me going for another ten years or so. And then when I went to the Star, um, I was at the Globe and Mail first. Um, I they said write a column. And so I went back into the consumer area again, and I found that, yes, there's no consumer movement per se, or a very small uh, one, but with email and the internet, it was so easy to help people solve their problems. So the Star used to have this thing called Star Probe, which was very famous in its day, but it had six or seven people all mailing letters back and forth, whereas one person, me, with a computer and a Blackberry, could get a whole lot done. And... um, it's so exciting and so rewarding and the readers love it when they're batting their head against the wall trying to reach somebody in a company and getting absolutely nowhere and feeling like they're just you know shunned 
and in an hour I can resolve it because I go to the higher level and I don't have any emotion and and the companies read this stuff and they say how would this look on the pages of the Toronto Star not so good we'd better get rid of this problem yeah and uh, so once I got started with that it's like adrenaline and every day you know I help people and they'll say thank you and boy I, I, I never believed this was possible and it's so much fun that I just keep doing it <laughs> And is it? Uh, it does resonate with readers, I find, uh, and and it can be kind of easy to pile on, especially to uh, you know some of the some of the worst offenders. I would imagine some of the telecom companies and you know the air aeroplans and air miles. Do you find that readers tend to pile on, and do you have to balance kind of trying to be fair to the company versus trying to solve an actual dispute? Well, what happens is that I never know what I'm going to write about. So I get these all resolved and then I try and figure out what to turn into a story. And I do find that, you know, people will call and they say, I have the most incredible story involving Rogers or Bell. And I'll say, look, I've written so much about them. It takes a whole lot of, you know, newsworthiness to make me interested in writing another story. So, you know, and the CRTC got in with the wireless code and it's it's calmed down a bit and then then airlines became a big deal and I'm still I'm, I'm much more involved with travel and airlines these days but but there's always something new appliances are a huge thing and yeah. people are so upset that their appliances are all breaking down just after the warranty finishes so there's always things that I and and what I really want to do is just novelty I don't want to feel that the readers are saying oh not another one of those so I'm always looking for new Oh, did we lose her? I think so. I okay. Think we may have. Oh. Oh, oh hello. There we go. Sorry, we lost, we lost you there for a second. Yes. It said my network connection is experiencing difficulties. Oh, well. Oh. But you're back I now. I was just talking about Rogers. Maybe We're it's talking about Rogers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is that is that your most common complaint, would you say, is the is the Bells and Rogers? Or does it Probably vary? yes, because they take so much of our our spending, and we've got you know so many services with them, and their billing systems tend to be somewhat in shambles because they have all these different platforms, and they offer great deals and then don't deliver, and and I even get complaints about you know the outside wiring that runs across someone's house, or they messed up my lawn, or their landscaping is really a mess, and so I I I must get at least you know, a handful of those every day. Uh, yeah. Direct energy, you know, the the furnace plans and all that stuff, they take up a lot of time too. Right. So what you get an email from a reader and they're complaining about Bell or Rogers or direct energy or whatever that complaint is, you know, what is your approach then with that company? Okay. Well, I have a contact that I've set up. It, with the with the telcos, it's usually their media people. With yeah. a lot of them, it's their media people, their VP of communications or just their their director of communications or something like that. Sometimes it's an outside PR agency. The Expedia and Travelocity use an outside PR agency. But I like dealing with these people because they know it's all about trying to find a story. So they're pretty good at rerouting it and they will reroute it to whoever will solve it. And I don't even need to put a covering letter anymore. I just flip it right over and they read it and then they send it and then they communicate with the customer directly. And for a while there I was saying, you know, you got to tell me what's going on, but it would be so much work for them because I send so much over. So they're waiting for the customer to get in touch with me and if the customer doesn't then I ask them and 
sometimes they fall through the cracks, so I send it back again. So there's probably at least 25 or 30 of these every day. It's, it, it, it really adds up, especially on Mondays, because I write twice on Saturday and Monday, so Mondays are crazy. Oh, yeah. So you get all the emails after the articles. Yeah, yeah. Talking about their situation. So I, if you know, what can consumers do short of contacting you? Yeah. Um, are they going, can they go to the media uh, or the VP of communications themselves? Uh, obviously, they're not. If they're not a writer, that may not carry any weight. Um, yeah. You know, or have you, or have you seen consumers maybe have success on you know Facebook or Twitter? You know, how can consumers fight back themselves? Facebook and Twitter are good, uh, especially since uh, in some cases Rogers, for example, is really good at Twitter. And if somebody writes to me and Rogers on Twitter, usually Rogers gets there before I do. They they, they zoom right in and uh, they try and intercept. Airlines are good at Twitter too. Facebook pages, it depends if the company <clears throat> wants to keep the negative comments because sometimes they'll say, you know, we just don't want it here and then it disappears. Right. Um, YouTube, people often put videos together or they've got blogs. Um, there's a variety of social media that work pretty well and then they often go to the, the mainstream media like me and say, look at my blog and here's an issue and you might want to see it. Petitions are good, change.org. There's a bunch of stuff. Right. And I just find sometimes it's just repetition, finding someone in the organization and just going back to them again and again and again and saying, look, I'm trying to resolve it, but if you don't, then I'll go to the media. And um, the key is always to be really calm and cool and, you know, never lose your cool, never lose your temper, never threaten, insult, confront, say they're fraudulent, say they're thieves. It's amazing how many people really let their anger get the better of them. So sure. always sound like a really rational person. <laughs> that would help for sure yeah. in most, uh, most business dealings. Um, <laughs> so is calling customer service dead now, like calling the 1-800 number and getting some, someone at a call center, is that, like, that, does that even work? Because that, it, that seems to be the cause of so many people's frustration. Yeah. Is calling. Yes, and it seems to be a, a way to spend a couple of hours yeah. being really angry. Right, and then, and then if only just yeah. to try to move it up the chain one or two levels, like, you know, do you recommend just kind of going around that and using those other channels, like the Twitter or contacting through their web page? Yeah, um, and I've heard of people who just get so frustrated that they do call the media people and say, you know, I know I'm in the wrong place, but I, I can't deal with the call center. Can you find an executive for me to talk to? And often the media people will help connect them because they do know, you know, that it, it, you can connect uh, without a call center because call centers, in my experience, are run on a basis of, um, you know, just mass volume, scripted responses. They can deal with the ordinary stuff, but they can't deal with anything that's out of the ordinary. And for many people, they have to really go beyond the supervisor to the next level, which is often back in Canada at the company right. headquarters. So I don't know if you, Jackson or Sandy, have had this issue, but I'm, I'm assuming you have. But you call a, call the 1-800 number or the call center, and it just seems like the whole exercise is just to keep you online as long as possible so that you just get frustrated and hang up. Like, do you guys find that at all? I don't even phone. I don't even phone anymore. Seriously, yeah. I just if if I 
if I, if it's possible for me to go down and talk to somebody face to face, then I, I typically get results. But if it's call, you know, your call is important to us. If it really was, you'd hire more people so you'd get to it and not give me an answering machine. It drives me crazy. And then I lose my cool and I start yelling and calling and insulting and saying they're fraudulent. Yeah. And then I just become that idiot that nobody wants to talk to. So, no, keep your cool. Go down and talk in person. That's what I do. Yes. You know, companies that used to be known for service, McDonald's, if you go to their restaurant, it's good, but if you complain, they use a call center too, and they have that hoary old line, you know, we're experiencing higher than average call volume. The whole point of a call center is to be able to work with the call volume and not blame it on that the call volume. Yeah, that's tough. So, like, who who does a good job at consumer resolution? When when you're going there, or maybe you get emails from readers that just say, "Well, actually, I had a really good experience with so and so." Um, Costco, and I think they've been a good investment for that reason because they do a pretty good job with customer service. Um, Future Shop and the Best Buy. Uh, once you get past the uh, the the lower levels. They're often pretty good about remedying things, I think, because they've been burned a lot in the past and, and they're getting good at it. Um, but a lot of companies aren't that great. Uh, sometimes I hear from the manufacturers, people who've gone to the manufacturer directly, like someone said they had a Hoover vacuum cleaner and it was breaking down and it took them a while to find the right people, but often the manufacturer will say, I'll send you another one without even asking for a receipt. You know, these companies that have been around forever and ever that have a good name and want to keep the customer buying again and again. Well, isn't that just smart business? I mean, you look. You mentioned Costco, and and they're just known for that. You know, that return policy where you can just take back anything and no questions asked. And doesn't doesn't that like I don't know. Thinking as a you know running a business, you know, you get you get that feeling like oh well, people are going to take advantage of this and. So, you know, where, where's that balance where you just say, you know what, this is, it's, it's in our best interest to just, you know, do a no questions asked policy or, you know, are people just going to take advantage of the whole entire situation? I was talking to somebody today about it. Uh, oh, I had my roof done this summer and it's a big job and I had to shop around and I was looking for endorsements and I got the, an endorsement for this company and I think they did a good job. We'll see in 10 or 12 years if it leaks. But I said to him, you know, you did my roof. The job cost $13,000. And I said, you didn't even ask for a deposit. And he said, I don't do that. I never ask for a deposit. I just do the work and I bill later. And I said, doesn't that mean that some people will try and not pay the bill? And he said, I call that the 2%. You know, so I might have some problems with some of them. But he said he'd never gone to court and he'd never put a lien on a house. And he just managed to run his business with expecting people to, to behave well and he's behaving well toward his customers. Yeah, that kind of working on a handshake and you don't see a lot of that anymore and no, everything's con no. contracts and fine print, right? That's right. And the people who complain to me about evil contractors who, who disappear, they've often paid 50% or even 100% of the job in advance. Right. So can, you mentioned direct energy. Can we talk a little bit about the door-to-door -door knockers? I just had one before uh, before we got on the air here. Yeah, yeah apparently they're, they're going around. There's this company called Summit Energy that was making a big splash in Toronto, and then somebody just called me or wrote to me from Vancouver saying that when they look for complaints, all the complaints were in Ontario, but I think they're branching out all over the country. So what happens, I think, is that 
for many of us, the furnace and the water heater are in the basement. We don't know much about them. We don't really care as long as they work. And once in a while we think, should we replace it? But we don't even remember when we bought it or how long we've had it. And we don't really want it to um, start leaking water all, all over our floor or you know, create this icy cold house in the winter. So it's sort of like a low priority. And then there's somebody at your door who says, I'm here to help you with your furnace and your, and your water heater. And they act as if they are already with the company that you, you deal with anyway. And they ask to come in your basement. So you say, okay, usually it's freezing cold outside and you, you want to let them have a little bit of warmth in your house. And then all of a sudden they fast talk you into signing some papers and there you are with a 15-year contract for a water heater rental or for a furnace rental, which is horrible because renting a furnace, you'll end up paying double the cost easily. Right. Um, but people, I think, are just too trusting. Uh, they don't really pay much attention. They want to get it over with. They don't want to shop around. So it's the convenience of door-to-door. Why can't we outlaw this practice? I mean, you know, the government went through this whole thing with that castle with the email spam. I mean, email spam, who cares? I'll just hit delete and it's yeah. gone. Uh, someone's coming to my door and, and misrepresenting who they are and, and this is okay? Like, I just don't understand how uh, this isn't being dealt with. I know, it's very tricky. The Ontario government, I think, did consider outlawing door-to-door selling, but that seems like such a big leap that nobody could sell door-to-door. -door. So they just went after the people who were selling the, the, the HVAC equipment and they have a new law that's going to go into effect. It hasn't even gone yet, but it's trying to at least control what they're doing. So instead of a 10-day cooling off period, it'll be a 20-day cooling off period for them. And if they put in that new equipment during that period, they'll have to take it out without uh, charging you to remove it. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I've noticed in my experience with... Um, my parents and myself too. I think it's there's been about four times, twice with my parents when I actually was there with them, and twice by myself. And I think a very good test of whether these. I mean, I think probably in general, if it's somebody that says that they're coming to check your hot water heater, probably you don't need to do anything with them at all. <laughs> um, but if you are in doubt, challenge them a little bit. And I found that the attitude. This is it's such a silly little thing, but. The attitude and the way that they speak to you when they when they feel like you're challenging whether you, if you I mean I know we talk about if you want good service you don't you know challenge somebody and tell them that they're fraudulent and yell yeah. them even just calmly the two times at my parents' house where I said no my you know these are people that you've already decided you don't want to deal with he was quite yeah. he was quite rude quite aggressive and quite rude as soon as we got to that point where he felt like he wasn't going to make the sale he was aggressive and yeah. I thought that's a pretty good indication that you should yeah. leave this house <laughs> yeah so that that's a different thing if you're not doing business with them you could be as rude as you like and see how they react but if <laughs> but you're right. already on the hook you don't want to insult them as a way of asking for a favor <laughs> that's right <laughs> I have to tell you, there's something that really annoys me. Because of my blog and because of the work I do, people are always writing and saying, I wish I'd read your article before I used this company and that company. And then they, once they're burned, then they find out all this negative stuff that's all over the internet. Why didn't they do it ahead of time? I just yeah. don't know. I think it's maybe that, again, it's convenience or trust or just laziness, I'll do it, there they are, they're popping up on my screen, they sound good, they look good, everything looks good, and 
it's always buyer's remorse afterward. And I wish more people would just do that checking ahead of time. Now that's you know, the problem that's a, when someone don't. comes to your door, right? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, a, it's the intimidation thing too, though. And I think it's actually quite a good segue to, if I may, to start yeah. talking about investing a little bit too. Because if somebody's at your door or if you're in somebody's office and they're presenting themselves as, I know more about your hot water heater than you do. I know more about money than you do. I know more about your investments than you do. I don't want to say that it's a Canadian thing because I don't think that's what it is. I think we feel like if we ask too many questions, we're going to seem sort of dumb and we're going to maybe waste that nice guy's time and we don't want that. So we just kind of say yes or we don't ask the questions that we feel like we ought to. And then later, that's why that becomes the kind of now I'm going to look into it. And I wish, that, yeah, I th I'm with you. I wish we could just not worry about sounding dumb and just ask some questions beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking too about sometimes when they'll do the online purchases. So yeah, they've yeah. decided that they're going to deal with the company and they don't say, okay, maybe I'll do this tomorrow and I'll do my research and then I'll come back. Uh, you know, like the online florist or the appliance repair firm that they book an appointment and then they find out that they can't fix your appliance and they're charging you $500 and the thing's still broken. So there's a lot of that going on and... Um, uh, people are just so willing to trust first and research later. Yeah, that's true. You, uh, you teach in personal finance. Is it a personal finance and investing course at University of Toronto, is it? It's called Investing for Beginners. And uh, because investing is a skill that many of us don't feel that we really understand or feel good at, uh, with, even if we're doing it already, it gets really good attendance. And what kind of attendance are we talking about? Well, this year I have 90 people signed up, which is yeah. really good. Last year there were 80. I was telling Sandy earlier that when the market goes down, the numbers go down too, but I still had about 50 during that period. So, And it's fun to see because there's young people, there's middle-aged people, there's older people. It, they all feel that they want to learn a bit more. Either A lot of them don't want to manage their own money, but they want to be able to have an intelligent conversation with their um, advisor and right. switch their advisor if they feel that they can get better service somewhere else. Do they know you or know of you? Are they coming to see you? Oh yeah, Alton? they read the star yeah. um, and they, they know that I have um, uh, you know on your side and, and yeah. I try and state things clearly and I think that's one of the things that I work really hard at is trying to be as clear as possible because the investment industry as you know Rob and maybe the mortgage industry too they like to make things more complicated and they use a kind of language that nobody understands and um, the investor has to be almost like a child and always say what did you mean by that and why why is this the case and why is that the case and keep asking and it does make you sound childish but unless you keep asking you're not going to get the right answers mm -hmm. the um, do you find that because they know you or know what you're all about? Are they more inclined to ask those dumb questions, I guess? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I try and use um, email as well to just have conversations about things they don't understand because sometimes it's embarrassing to do it in a, a big class and there's not always time. And since it's in the evening, you know, we end at 9, they want to go home already. So <laughs> we use a lot of email and I email the class and I send them links and just for those weeks, they're in a time where you know anything can be asked and and I figure that if I give them enough information they won't absorb it all but 
they'll take what they need and I hope by the end of it they're more motivated to do something to at right. least get started or to uh, change their their uh, advisor or to try a different kind of investment and, um, and just get get uh, get going and what kind of takeaways do you have for someone who's um, just starting out uh, you know maybe a 20-something or university student who you know what what are you hoping they get out of that class First of all, learning the language of investing, but it's it's you know next next week we're going to talk about the economy and interest rates and inflation and what all that means and what the central bank does and how even if you have great investments, they will often go down because the economy goes down and you have to ride out these these recessions and and wait till that disappears. So a lot of it too is psychological, getting the right attitude that it's not a quick win, that you sit for a while with stuff that might be underwater, but eventually if you hold on and don't pay too much attention to what it does every single hour, that it's going to come back again and that you know if you keep your eye on the future and take a, a long-term approach, that you're going to do better than if you put it into some safe 2% GIC. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about the housing market? Not too much because this is really about investing in securities. Right. Um, and, you know, I've been reading the same stories for years now about the housing market is overvalued. It's about to come down and it never does. And then other people saying, no, 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 supply and demand are relatively balanced. And, you know, you could talk about it forever, but nothing much is going on. So. Um, and also, Rob Carrick at the Globe and Mail is so obsessed with housing. He's he's doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would your what would your advice be for uh, someone starting out and looking to buy a house in Toronto? Uh, don't buy in Toronto. <laughs> buy outside Toronto, or find a, a place where you can rent the basement and maybe rent the top floor and you can live in just one of the floors but even those places tend to be overvalued it's not an easy market to get into in Toronto um, maybe Hamilton you know be prepared to take a little bit of a drive uh, or commute um, I think it is good to get into the real estate market if you can afford it if you have the incomes that are needed to support the mortgage and if you're not too stretched but then on the other hand, I don't think it's a bad idea to rent. And many people should be renting and feel that they have to get into the housing market. And uh, for, for, for those folks, renting allows them the freedom to travel and to move and to take another job. And uh, you shouldn't be feeling guilty because you're not getting into the housing market at an early age. And you should just be putting your money into mutual funds and exchange-traded funds and various if other things where it will grow. That. If I can second that and just jump on that train for a second, I'm a mortgage broker. I make money by putting people in houses and helping them pay lower interest rates. However, I sold my house this spring and I moved to Edmonton and I've rented a condo. I'm not kidding. There is freedom in renting. It's not my problem. I am not a good homeowner, but I've always <laughs> felt like, man, I've got to own a home. I'm throwing, I might as well just light hundreds on fire for renting. And it's really not like that. When you yeah. add up all the costs, the freedom of, like, I just got freedom in my mind to say, 
I can do anything I want. You know, I'm not going to burn my condo down, but honestly, <laughs> we just feel like we have to buy. And if you're not buying, you're just completely wasting your money. And I can say from first-hand experience that it's not like that. The renting has been very freeing for the last year for me. And, I mean, am I saving a down payment for my next house? Yeah, yeah, I am. But, I mean, it's not a bad situation to be in. That's great. It's like, you know how John Templeton was the contrarian. You always buy when people are selling. So with the housing market, with everyone saying that renting is just, you know, burning your money or throwing your money in the garbage, you take the contrarian view and say there's a lot of advantages for renting as long as you save your money, you know, and you get into the housing market some other time. But right now for you, renting was the right thing to do. So I know Sandy wanted to jump in here on the Fair Canada. Maybe you can describe your involvement in that and what, what exactly it is. Okay, so investors in Canada haven't uh, ha lobbyists. You, you know, you, when when the securities regulators say, "Well, what do you think about mutual fund fees?" They'll get a hundred submissions from all the companies, and they'll get maybe five from the investor community, and often they're from people who've had a bad experience. So uh, five or six years ago, Hermano um, Pascudo, who started Fair, thought. Securities commissions have money that is restricted because they've raised it through fees and they can't use it for their operations. So wouldn't it be nice if they used it to fund an investor advocacy group that was staffed by lawyers that would be very professional and would go to all these different consultations and give good papers. So he got some money from the uh, industry associations and got FAIR started. And the securities regulators will say they really like what FAIR does, it's very well written, it's, it's quite knowledgeable, and when that money was getting toward the end, we got uh, some more money from the Ontario Securities Commission and from Stephen Jaroslawski, who's a billionaire money manager who also felt the small investor needed a voice. So we're on a, a path to sustainability and we're trying to raise more money, even from corporations, to keep going. Because, you know, every, everybody's an investor now, they have to save for retirement, they have to save for a longer life, and they're doing it in a market that is so stacked against them. So we're trying to make sure that investors have a voice in securities regulation to get a better environment for individual investors. And there's a lot going on in that environment right now. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yes. The uh, whole question of mutual fund fees and embedded trailer commissions for the sellers has attracted the attention of the securities regulators. They wonder, you know, the approach is always disclosure. But you can disclose things to people and they still don't get it. And if they talk to their advisor and they're given baffle gab and they don't really understand it either, the securities regulators are thinking, well, maybe we should look at, you know, how they're paid and should we allow these commissions that come from a third party? Is that in the best interest of the investor? Maybe we should have a law that they have to put the best interests of the investor ahead of their own interests. So all these questions are on the table right now, and it's an exciting time because they're actually looking at the retail investor and thinking, we want to make life better for them. How are we going to do it? The only problem is there's no federal investment uh, regulator. There's 13 provincial ones, so things take a long time, but at least they're talking. And now, how much time do you spend looking at uh, other countries and how the, and how things have gone over there, say Australia or in, or the UK, in terms of banning, you know, uh, the embedded commissions or the trailer fees? We look at them to some extent. We'll often put it into our submissions, but the industry is doing that too. 
and they're always saying that well it's a failure in Britain but in Britain it just it's just a year or two and we don't know yet maybe some of the people who are selling mutual funds have left but you know that doesn't mean that it's a failure and that customers can't get anybody to help them so I think that in many cases you can't really judge what's going on elsewhere you just have to focus on what's right for people here in Canada well and does the possibility exist that you know this making changes to the structure of compensation for instance or the kinds of things that have to be disclosed and the way that they have to be disclosed it doesn't mean that it's going to create a perfect system and I don't think anybody yeah. believes that it will but it means that now some of the some of the bigger problems have been fixed and now maybe there'll be new but hopefully smaller problems right is that I mean is that sort of the practical way of looking at things <laughs> yes right right and we still work um, in the area of securities regulation, but on the insurance side, things are even worse. Uh, a lot of those guys are selling investments of different kinds without any suitability requirements, without any real uh, um, um, complaint handling. Uh, it's very hard to get your money back under any conditions out of the insurance side of things. And I feel really bad about that. I wish that FAIR would get more involved in that area, but we have so much in our hands just dealing with the securities people but I know that a lot of mainstream Canadians are dealing with insurance agents who are selling them horrible products and they don't really have anywhere to go once they find out that uh, they've lost their money because the, the, the big insurance companies will say they're a contractor and we have no control over them so go to court and go to you know, sue that person and that's really hard yeah so I think we're uh, wrapping up here, Ellen. But do you want any kind of closing comments as far as you know? You're a consumer. You're advocating for consumers. So what are some of the tips, short of again, short of emailing you that uh, you know that you want you want consumers to take away and and uh, you know be smarter shoppers and and smarter investors and and that sort of thing. Well, I think it's important to read the uh, information that you get, you know, your monthly statements and everything else. There's this big campaign now to stop billing people for the monthly statements. But even if you download them from your computer, print them out, read them, file them. If you have any questions at all, call the company. If you have a bad transaction and the merchant will do nothing for you, call your credit card company and dispute it. Because a lot of people do get their money back, but they don't think of it. So, you know, your Visa, MasterCard, American Express, they have the zero liability, especially when you're um, going online uh, or the company goes out of business. You can often get the money back from the credit card company. So when something bothers you, stand your ground, try to complain, see how far you can get. Don't just sit and say, oh, you know, consumers are always given the short end of the stick. I've seen so many abuses in my career, but I always still feel that it's worth fighting and it's worth at least challenging the companies and eventually if enough people challenge the companies start changing their mind excellent good advice well Alan thank you so much for being on the because money podcast this month uh, we really appreciate your insights and good. thanks Rob wrapped up here okay good yeah thanks for great. joining us had a blast great I think we're out goodbye we're
Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.